Good morning and happy Sabbath, everybody. This is the day. Whatever the weather, regardless of what's going on in your life, this is the day. And we ought to give God thanks. I want to commend you on being one of the few churches I've visited in recent times that starts its 11 a.m. service at 11 a.m. That is not supposed to be a big deal, but uh, we struggle. We struggle. We start 11.05, you know, whenever we get around to it. But at 10.59, we were out here. And you were ready to start. I want to commend you. I want to commend you. Thank you for bringing me back, Dr. Liverpool. I checked my calendar before we left the hotel, and uh, I noticed it was November uh, that I was here what, seven months ago. So I guess you can bring me back in November. Thank you very much. Dr. Liverpool was my first uh, Greek professor uh, before I left uh, Guyana for college. Um, a few of us wanted to start some work, and I think he wanted to keep himself sharp, so he gathered us together, and uh, we started Greek under him. Almost got me in trouble in college because I had pretty much completed my first year Greek uh, before I got to college, so I started skipping classes. And our Greek professor found a way to handle it. He gave us an exam that was pretty advanced, and everybody failed including the people Dr. Liverpool had taught. <laughs> it was way out of our depth. Dr. E. E. Rogers. And then he confronted us. He said, I'm the only person in this class who knows Greek. I'll throw this exam out if you cut it out. And we did cut it out. Dr. Williams, it's good to see you, you and your beautiful wife. I'm going to stick to the script. <laughs> and uh, is that your son? No. Grandson, grandson, grandson. It's good to see you all. I don't like to be in any situation preaching when David Williams is in the house. Uh, what a blessing he is to our church and our country. We can all be very proud of him, justifiably. I have one of my mentees here as well. Uh, she probably didn't want me to say that. First year seminarian from, from New York, uh, Trevely Rose, good to see you. And uh, this is a good church to hook up with. Elder Wright asked for a praise report. I wanted to, to share mine. 
but I said I'll share it now and then preach. Uh, my office has a lock that I know is old, so old it should be changed, but nobody in the building uh, agrees with me. But I am the only one who struggles to get in the office. And I go there, and the lock would work and not work, you know, work Monday, Tuesday, and then on Wednesday it decides I'm not going to open up. It's very frustrating when you want to get in the office, and you try, and you call Tom, Dick, and Harry, and they try, and, and I'm telling them, change the lock. It's as simple as that. Finally, after much effort, they decided they'll bring a locksmith. And he came, and I don't know if they told him, we are not paying you to change it, just service it, but he got on his knees, and he's talking to me, and he's spraying it, and he's telling me, and he sprayed it, and eventually it started working. And I wasn't comfortable that this thing is sustainable. And it acted up last week. And it wouldn't let me in. And there is no locksmith now. I'm the only one there. And I can't get in. It was after hours. I wanted to get in my office with some documents. And uh, my secretary said she left them there. And I can't get in. I'm so frustrated. Because I told everybody who's supposed to hear me, change the lock. You all bought it when Abraham was in the mountain. Just change the lock, brethren. And I stood there, I was so upset. I said, I'm walking away, I'm going home, and I'm not going to come to work until they tell me they've changed a lot. And in desperation, I turned around and I literally prayed. I said, God, open this door. And I stuck the key in, Pastor. That thing opened, I kid you not. And I said I was going to tell somebody about it because God hears these angry, frustrated prayers of ours. I was not in a good mood. For that alone, maybe God should not have heard me. I was angry. But in his goodness, he heard me. Hear us now, Lord, we pray. All of us together, counsel us, convert us. As we together open your word in Jesus' name. Let's go to what Martin Luther called the little Bible. The book of Psalms. Others have referred to the book of Psalms as the school of patience. The map of experience. The rose garden. The pearl island. The book of Psalms. It is, in fact, the original prayer book, the book of Psalms, and the most ancient of all hymnals. I know folks who are still mourning the discontinuance of the 1941 Adventist hymnal, which happened, I must tell you, in 1985. 38 years ago, and they're still weeping. They tell me in church, the old hymnal was better. Truth is, the old hymnal 
is the book of Psalms. Its Hebrew title means praises. And if you're one of those folks who don't like hearing shouts of praise the Lord in church, be advised that there are 23 shouts of praise the Lord in the book of Psalms. Today we are in Psalm 24. The sermon title is Who? This evening if you're here, the sermon title would be What? That's a praise the Lord right there. <laughs> psalm 24. A psalm with 10 verses. Three stanzas. Each stanza offering its own perspective of God. God from a different angle. Many scholars believe Psalm 24 was a liturgy which the Levites led at the temple gates. Not in the temple, but at the gates. It probably originated as a victory song for Israel's soldiers returning home from a battle with the Canaanites. Victorious, they come home and they sang this hymn. It's a celebration of Jehovah's sovereignty. Two weeks ago, May 6th, the Brits celebrated the sovereignty of King Charles III by swearing to pay allegiance to him, his heirs, and their successors. As King, Charles is sovereign of 15 Commonwealth realms, realms that are as far apart as Canada is from Australia. The Solomon Islands from the Caribbean Islands. Psalm 24 says, no, not so. The earth is the Lord. Land masses, bodies of water, air space, the Lord. The King James Version says, the fullness thereof. NIV says, everything in it. All of us, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, and everything, every item we have labeled, branded, initialed, and even have titles to. The message to the world's 3,000 billionaires is the same. The earth is not yours. It's the Lord's and everything in it. Yes. As you've observed, Psalm 24 articulates the creation theology of the Torah, not the theology of the Canaanites. Please do not fall prey to unbiblical teachings. Please save your heart. Save your soul. Don't drink from every fountain. I'm from Guyana, so you must know that I know about Kool-Aid spiked with cyanide. Don't drink from every fountain. You have no obligation listening to any preacher. Not even Seventh-day Adventist preachers who are not lifting up scripture, who are not grounded in the Bible. 
This is the word of God. And that's the truth for all generations. The Bible says, Psalm 24 says, he founded it. As creator, he is most deserving of our adoration, yes. our accolades, yes. our ovation, yes. our praise, yes. our hallelujahs and our amens. Yes. Let all things their creator bless. Oh, praise him. I can't think of this boundless, harmonious universe and not sing the mighty power of God. Well. A power that made mountains rise. A power that spread the flowing seas abroad and constructed the skies. I don't know about you, but I'm in awe of this God who spoke. And it was done. Yes. You've heard, speak it into existence. I tried it, literally tried it. With all the faith I could summon and muster, I stood before my Hyundai Sonata. I really wanted a Benz that day. And I spoke, but it wasn't done. God spoke, and it was done. The Levites sang Psalm 24, 1 and 2 as a doxology in honor of the creator God. Yes. And I want to commend your Levites today. Yes. You all came before us with so much evidence of preparation. I like when the worship service is led by people who spend time being ready to lead. Yes. Tripping over ourselves, where do we expect to lead the congregation? Every one of you came up here today sensing, and we can feel it, yes. that this was the hour. This is the Lord's day. And if we have an opportunity by God to stand before his people, may God prepare us. May we be prepared, not just language, but our hearts. These Levites came before Israel with this doxology, honoring the creator God. And the rest of the congregation responded. It's terrible to preach to a dead house. They came and they delivered the doxology. And the congregation responded. Yes. Worship is supposed to elicit responses. Strong responses. Yes. Liturgies by nature are dialogues. An exchange between the pulpit and the pew. The congregation of Israel responded with questions in this case. Verse 3. This is the second stanza. It focuses the congregation, us, as it did then to them, on the Lord's holiness. Don't mess with God. You can mess with me and Liverpool. But you don't want to mess with God. He is the creator. And he's holy. Yes. Now I, I, I say holy and I say holiness, but I can't comprehend holiness. Yes. Come on, 
I, I understand sanctimonious. Oh, we step into church. Talk about these wretched men who don't look after their children. They step up in church. Bible right here. Well, here, near the heart. I'm talking about these huge Bibles. It's Sabbath. And then on Sunday, even your dog is afraid of you. With God, it's holiness. The real deal. He's holy. How dare you, how dare me come into his presence trifling. He's more than creator. He's a holy creator. Consequently, the second stanza causes the congregation to pause. Pause and ask, who? The question is, who? Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? We have no right being here. We can't earn this. We don't deserve this. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Because if he is holy, his hill is holy. It's his. It's holy. He makes the Sabbath holy. He made it holy. We can debate our heads off. It's holy. If he's on that hill, you know, Moses was out there with those sheep for years. He walked past every bush. 40 years, you go past every bush, every clump, trying to find grass for your flock. And on this day, he, he saw this phenomenon, this rare sight. Moses knew physics. If you're burning, you will burn out. Burn up, but this was not happening. And he said, let, 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 me, let, me, let me take a closer look. And he heard this voice. Yes. Said, Don't you step one more step. You just cross between ordinary ground and holy ground. Yes. God is holy. As a worshiper, I'd like to know who, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord. Who shall stand in his holy place, in his holy presence, like Isaiah, we should see ourselves undone, unworthy, unholy. Isaiah had a moment. He thought he was holy. Because he ate lean and green. Didn't eat pork. In fact, he didn't eat meat. None. 
Some of you don't even eat. You're so rigid and right. I shared in Sabbath school this morning, we were talking about whether we can have a bath on Sabbath or not. I had a bath interrupted for those of you who weren't in the conversation. I was being hosted and I thought it was okay to step into the bathroom on Sabbath morning. And as soon as the water began coming, I heard. Because in that house, on Sabbath, no baths. That's why when Liverpool invites me, I, I want to be in a hotel. I don't want anybody in, interrupting my bath. That's been my rule, Dr. Williams. Hotel or nothing. I'm not doing that anymore. I don't want anybody waking me up at 5 o'clock to discuss a Sabbath school lesson either. Let me rest. All of this sanctimonious stuff. All of this show and pretend. For all of the stuff we've done and all of the stuff we do, we are unworthy. The question is, who shall ascend? Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? And that's an acknowledgement that I'm not eligible. Do you know? That as, as good as you are, and I know we are good people, at least we try. We are still ineligible. We don't qualify. The response in verse 4 directs us to heart matters. Heart. In this context, clean hands is not a reminder that we should thoroughly wash our hands. I don't mean to upset you, but I, I'm, I'm tired stepping into the men's bathroom where I work, you know. I work in New York City on Sabbath, and I've seen too many times men go into the bathroom. Pre-COVID, COVID, post-COVID. Man, come on, brother. I'm in the bathroom. The brother comes in after me. He leaves before me. And I know he did not go to wash his hands. Next thing you know, greet somebody. Don't, don't greet me. Don't greet me. Psalm 24, 4 is about being ethically sterilized. Cleansed from things like vanity. It's in the text. Pride. It's in the text. Deceitfulness. In old Adventism, vanity was about sleeves. It was so sexist. Men were not vain. Sleeves, neckline, hemline, nail polish. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Old Adventism. Lipstick. These conversations. Makeup. Make and like I said, it, it's so sexist. Because men were exempted. We got to write the rules. And we never wrote into the rules 
under vanity, battling for supremacy in church. No, that's not worldliness. That's not vanity. Quit because you're not first elder. Or you didn't get reelected in the conference. That's not vanity. You spend the next year sulking and sour. That's not vanity. Makeup is vanity. On the matter of dress, by the way, I, I, I see brothers who should wear regular fit in slim fit. I'm not preaching, they're meddling. But come on. This is deeper than that. This is a lot deeper than cosmetics. Vanity. Psalm 24 is about truthfulness. Trustworthiness. It's about witness credibility. You, you're not a great Christian if you're lying on people. If you're opting out by being silent... When you can actually deliver somebody by just saying he didn't do it. Today's World Adventurers Day, and where I work, they like to pick on the kids. I don't know how it is in Rick region, but I'm in the Northeast. Man, we always on the kids' case. The kids, the kids, the young people. My God. Woo. Nobody wants to confront the elders who are out of line. But be quick to tell the pathfinders they're out of line. Well, I, 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 I try at 5'5 five five to speak truth to power, to tall, to old. If you're out of line, you're out of line. And you and I have an obligation to speak the truth. You can't let somebody go down who shouldn't go down while you're silent. Minding your own business. Choosing to be a bystander. When the church is splitting apart. You're just watching that conflict. Destroy your congregation. You just come and go quietly. Stand up. That's what standing up for righteousness looks like. Tell him he's wrong. Tell him to stop. Tell her she should back off. You can't let somebody go down while you misrepresent the truth. You say a truth, whole truth, and nothing but knowing you're about to lie. So help me God, but you're a false witness. And that happens in church. I think of Brother Ananias and his darling life and death partner, Sapphira. They stood before Peter and swore deceitfully. About percentages. Acts chapter 5 says. With his wife's full knowledge. He kept back. Part of the money. What have we learned? Precious little. 
Folks are still calling a fraction of the tithe the whole tithe. And acting as though if you label it thus, it is. It doesn't become tithe because it's in that envelope. Or you click on it. That doesn't make it a tithe. God is not mocked. If it isn't 10%, your hands are not clean. They're not. True stewards acknowledge Jehovah's Lordship by climbing his hill with clean hands. His Lordship regulates our stewardship. He's Lord. Of the faithful, Psalm 24, 5 says, He shall receive the blessing from the Lord. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. You know, many people who tell you, I'm too blessed to be stressed, aren't really that blessed. Not having financial stressors or medical challenges isn't all there is to being blessed. You know that. And if you don't have a lot in your bank account, that should relieve you a little bit. You are more blessed. That's why David wrote, fret not yourself, Psalm 37, because of the evildoers. They seem to prosper. And you're struggling. The struggle is real. It doesn't mean they're more blessed than you. It doesn't mean God has forgotten you. Who says blessing is limited to dollars and stuff? Who says? The Lordship of Jesus is, is transformational. It frees us from vanity and earthly ambition. It liberates us from the vile ways of the earth. It's a hard thing, folks. It's a hard thing. It's all about the heart. Worship is from the heart. Faithfulness is about the heart. Mm. Kindness, generosity, they come from good hearts. That's why the widow, the widow, the widow was able to give so much. I think of my old grandmother. Those folks were so faithful. God. Being a deaconess in the church then meant you swept the church. And when it kicked up all of that dust on the piano and the pews, they went around and dusted everyone. Yes. Yes. I've had to fire church janitors. I've had to tell them goodbye. Because I come up in church on Friday night and I could see my palm prints on the side and on top. And they were being paid. My grandmother and her friends never got paid and never cared to be paid. It comes from the heart. 
I do it as unto God. I do it even when I'm mad at the church. Because my eyes are set on the hill. On the Lord. When I acknowledge the Lord as creator and owner of everything, I receive his clearance to climb the hill. When I acknowledge him, I don't have to be perfect. If God required perfection, none of us could climb the hill. But in his grace, in his mercy, my acknowledgement of him and who he is, he lets me climb the hill. Returning to the text, we find a liturgy in verses 7 to 10 as we close. By then the worshipers are at the gate. This is personification. The gates symbolize those who are ready. Some commentators believe those who are ready to let the king in. While the Lord is king by virtue of his status as creator and owner, he would only rule in hearts that let him in. If you close the gate, He's not going to break those gates in. Now he could, but he wouldn't. He gives us a chance to open the gates. Open the gates. Yeah. I was visiting one day and I saw this gate and then a little sign on it that said, beware of the dog. And an engraved uh, bulldog was a part of the sign. And then a little note, evidently from the bulldog himself. The note said, I can make it over the fence in 0.8 of a minute. Can you? Well. Knowing my limitations, I moved into a tactical retreat. I didn't turn around. I didn't rush. Because I know in point eight of a minute, I'd be dead. We are awaiting this king coming back from battle. If the scholars are right about the historical background of this song, the army went out to fight. They are returning home victorious. The commander-in-chief is the king. Back then, the commanders-in-chief went to war. They didn't get to stay in the Oval Office. They went out. All of these hawks that we have now circling around Washington, they would not have been as hawkish if they had to go to war. They start a war because they're in the Pentagon. The king is leading the troops back. They're victorious. They deserve a grand welcome. How wouldn't you respond when you consider the king and the victory he has just gotten? The opening of the gates is a most fitting response. Yes. If his victory doesn't move you, if the Lord's victory doesn't move you, you are an imposter at the gate. 
You are an enemy at the gate. Yes. If you are indeed one of his own and you're at the gate and he is coming back from victory. Look, this scene invites loyal gatekeepers to join the liturgy, to celebrate the king's victory. Join and worship, join and praise. I'm talking about giving God glory, giving God praise, giving God thanks. He is sovereign. Open the gates. Open the gates of your heart. Let him in. Let him reign in your heart. Govern your life. Let him sit on the throne of your soul. He is king. Imagine you got a chance to be at the coronation. Well, I don't know if I'm talking to the right group. Maybe you don't want to hear a thing about Charles. My older daughter, constantly, 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 Pastor Liverpool, she says, Charles is not going to see the face of Jesus. I'm like, girl, leave the man alone. She said, Daddy, if you can treat your son like that, Harry, you can't see Jesus' face. Well, I don't know about that. But I'm telling you, man, Joe Biden was invited to the coronation. And he sent Jill. I was hoping the guy would send me. I would have gone. Just to be in Westminster Abbey. Just to look and see this ceremony with so much pomp and circumstance. British style. I would have gone. We get to go. We get to be at the coronation of our king. You get to be there, to stand there, sinner you, messed up you, troublesome you. I get to be there, wretched me, oh wretched men that I am. But in God's infinite goodness and grace, God is not just great, he's good. That's why I get a chance. Not because I do my tithe correctly or second tithe. That can't give me a spot. Grace, marvelous grace. So who, who gets to be there? Who, sin are you? Even if you've been unfaithful all your life, Song says, all my life, you've been faithful. Truth is, all our lives, we've been unfaithful. But God, my God, this thing blows my mind. I get to think on it every now and then, that in spite of what I've done and how long I've done it, how far I've been, how long I've been gone, God will let me in. All of the mess of my life that you don't know about and I don't want you to know about. He knows. I can't pretend to him. And the devil would want me to become despondent and to feel so unworthy. You know, the devil psychs us 
He wants us to believe that we've done too much. We've done it too long. We've been gone too far. Who, me? Yes, you. But it's not because of you. It's because of the character of the king. He's not just glorious, y'all. He's gracious. He's long-suffering. Hmm? My dad just died a year ago. My dad was not the disciplinarian in our home. Our mom. My dad would keep talking to us. My brother and I would be in the room fighting. We had a bunk bed. He was on top. I was at the bottom. He would take the sheet and he would hit me under there. And I'd put my feet and kick him up in the air. And my father would be like, Ashton and Easton. And we would stop for a few minutes. And then we'd go right back. And my dad would do that again. Ashton and Easton, if I get up and come over there. We'd chill for a bit. And then the war would be ceasefires over. My mother, whoa. She said it once, and I've never heard my parents call our names in reverse. Did the order of birth. Ashton, I'm the youngest of three. There's a girl in the middle. Ashton and Easton. That's what my mother would say once after that judgment. <laughs> she would come over there, belt in hand. I hated all belts. At 11, 12, 13, brown belt, black belt, skinny belt, fat belt, broad belt, every belt. Mommy's belt, daddy belt, my belt. Because sometimes my belt turns on me. God is gracious. So who? You. Me. And by the way, we don't get to stand here and preach to you about these things because we're better than you. We make it here because of his grace. Yes. Yes. Gracious Father, forgive us. Please stand with me. Help that nobody would leave this house discouraged, wondering, wondering if our names are there. Right now, right here, we get to walk back onto the holy hill because of who you are. A good God, whatever this week was like, whatever you've done, the vanity, the pride, the deceitfulness, the wrongdoing, in this moment, God says you. We ask who? And he says you. Thank you, God. Thank you so much that we can climb the holy hill. We can be at your coronation. We can stand on the sea that looks like glass. We can take off our crowns and toss them at your feet. Oh, that will be glory. Please, God, receive our thanks for the blessed assurance. And again, whoever you are, whatever you've done, God is not just great. He's good. He's good enough to love you and save you and choose you as one of his stewards. Let's acknowledge his lordship. This we pray in Jesus' name. Let everybody say amen. Amen.